Welcome to the Aurora Cornerstone Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope today's message is an encouragement to you. How many here remember the day you were baptized in water? How many remember that? Okay. Just keep your hand up for a second. Just look around. There's a testimony. There's a testimony right there. Isn't that wonderful? Jessica, it's a great testimony you guys joined this morning, and, and uh, Emmanuel, and, and uh, it's great to have family uh, to be a part of the baptism. Uh, just acknowledge, and uh, what a blessing to be able to, uh, part of our biological family, and then also a church family. I'm going to invite you, if you would turn with me in your Bibles this morning, we're going to go to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, we're going to be looking to that in just a moment. One of the things that I find as a pastor that is one of, the, one of the more difficult things is those that come into faith who love Jesus and have committed their lives to follow him, but they have people that are very, very dear to them who um, either are actively resisting faith or they... Uh, they just aren't interested. It's, it's, we call them loved ones who have not committed their life to Christ. And I find that's honestly one of the hardest things as a pastor, as an individual, but certainly as a pastor, watching um, followers of Jesus just cry out to God for their dear ones. It's a precious thing because at least somebody's crying out to God for them. Somebody's standing on their behalf and praying and and believing and hopefully just letting the light of what God is doing in their lives touch their loved ones. But it's heart-wrenching when, when time goes on and sometimes it just looks uglier than it did, did back before it all began. And to maybe journey a little bit with that, I find that honestly some of the hardest things. To journey with those, not hard in that you wouldn't do it, but hard in just watching the pain and the the hope sometimes just seems so distant as we pray for dear ones. I, I thought what we would do, we've been talking about the work of the Spirit, Holy Spirit, how He works in our lives. We've been talking about prayer and that there is a big difference between saying you're a follower of Jesus and actually following Him. The, the New Testament talks about you will know them by their fruit. So if a person says something, but you don't see any action behind it, that causes us to be suspect that it's actually really true. Because you should see action. You should see, should see follow-up. Um, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but, um, so don't raise your hand. But I'm gonna, I'm, I think many of us, if not all of us, have people that are dear to us who don't know Christ as Lord and Savior. Um, they've not, um, for different reasons, for various reasons, they have not um, made that decision or maybe made a decision but walked away from God. And they're not following the Lord today for various reasons. Uh, none of us merit God's mercy and grace. We know that. None of us merit it. And none of us, there's not the haves and have-nots. Uh, God loves us all equally. He can't love you less and he can't love you more. He loves us all equally. And in that love, he has provided a gift 
that we might know him. That the bridge back to the divine would be possible that we would, as he intended in the creative order of Adam and Eve, that we would fellowship with him, which was broken by sin. By sin of those who've gone before us, but yes, our own sin. You know, I don't have to... Have you ever talked to somebody who says, well, I'm not a sinner? <laughs> yeah. Well, just give me a minute or two talking with you, and I can probably point a few things out. Um, and it's not just the breaking of the Ten Commandments, but even at that, even at that, the Bible says if you looked upon somebody and you lusted, you've actually committed a sin. If you've lied, and if a person says they haven't lied, well, I caught you right there. Caught you right there. Yes, you have. Right? Yes, we all have sinned. We all have sinned. And we need a Savior. And the Bible does talk that there is such a place as a heaven and there is such a place as a hell. Literal. It's not figurative. Literal. And in the Bible, it actually talks of the place of damnation, the place of lostness, forever lost, and, and the torment. It actually talks more about that than it actually does heaven. I guess maybe they were more motivated by that. They needed to hear that. Maybe when they looked into the cosmo, they didn't know what they were beholding. And it's not just heavens being into the stars, but a place that God has prepared for those that love him. Well, what about those who don't and dear ones to our hearts? That's what I wanted to sit on today. I'm going to share a few things this morning because it's relevant. How to pray for our lost loved ones. How do we pray for them? I want to start, um, we're going to look at that scripture in just a moment, I promise you, but uh, I don't know if anybody here has ever observed, and I suggest probably through YouTube, a C-section, a cesarean section delivery of a baby. A number of years ago, uh, I followed a link somehow and ended up on a YouTube that was showing a cesarean section, and I lingered. And that was probably not a great idea. Uh, curiosity took well, I thought that it was a very neat and tidy process. I thought that the doctor just, you know, has this nice little neat incision and reaches in and the baby reaches up and they, they meet each other and out comes the baby and then stitch mama back up and life goes on. I, I know it was simple, naive. I honestly hadn't given it a lot of thought prior to that. But as I watched in this YouTube, I was horrified, absolutely horrified. Like I said, it was probably not a good idea. Uh, none of this neat little decision, none of this baby reaching up for you to say, you know, bring me into this wonderful world. It was pulling and, and <laughs> there was pulling and pointing out things in that YouTube I never dreamed of. And when they finally got to the baby, which was not easy. When they finally got to the baby, it took all of the doctor's effort to pull that little gaffer out. He didn't want to come. And it was a quite a procedure. And, and, and I honestly, I was thinking, little guy, if you just saw what I just saw, you'd want out of there. This world has a lot to offer compared to what you're experiencing right now. Why do you want to hang on and stay in there? And that kind of reminds me of spiritual warfare. It reminds me of us praying for those who don't know Christ. The Bible says that there is a veil 
a veil that keeps unbelievers from clearly seeing the good news of Jesus. So I want to read this, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. You might want to grab the QR code that's here because there's a number of notes at the end. We'll try to put that back up again for a moment because oftentimes afterwards somebody says, oh, I wish I grabbed those notes. So uh, it's available for you to have those notes this morning. We'll make it available a little bit later. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, I'm going to read it. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God, small g, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. I'm going to read that again because there's a lot in there. Even if our gospel is veiled, meaning it is, it is veiled to those who are perishing, those who don't know Christ. The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers, and we've all been there so that they cannot see the light of the good news that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So, Father, this morning, help us to grasp something that is spiritual and something that is very important to really all of us, that you would help us to understand how you want us to approach this. In your precious name we pray, amen. It says, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Veiled. Even if our gospel is veiled. The word veiled means this, to hide, cover up, wrap around. Even if our gospel is covered up, it is covered up to those who are perishing. Similar to my illustration earlier, the veil of the skin over the little unborn one. The veil of the skin covers up... Baby cannot know what this world offers. It's never seen it, never experienced it. It's veiled, covered up. The unbeliever, those who have yet to receive the regenerating work of Holy Spirit, don't see the good news because they can't. They can't. It's not that they don't want to see it until Holy Spirit reveals God they can't. That's what the scripture's saying. Uh, they don't understand because they can't understand. Those of you who came to Christ a little bit later in life, you know, maybe not as a young child, but a little bit later as a teenager, as an adult, earlier you couldn't grasp those things. There's a veil. And until you have an unveiling, you can't understand it. Uh, it's called revelation. So the work of the Holy Spirit, I was talking a couple of weeks ago, the Holy Spirit to the unbeliever does two primary things. First of all, convicts us of our sin. Begins to reveal there's something wrong, there's something wrong, there's something wrong, there's something wrong. Now, often we go in directions that are harmful to us when we become aware of that. But the Holy Spirit is showing us there's something out of place. You're out of divine order. Now, we might not put all that together, but that's what's happening. And secondly, the second thing, he testifies to Christ. So whether through creation, whether through witness, whether through you watch something, read something, hear something, but he testifies there is a Christ. There is an answer. It's found in Christ. And so there's a sense of conviction, a sense of a testimony towards Christ. That is the working of the Holy Spirit. 
We call that revelation. And the revelation brings an unveiling. So a believer, an unbeliever cannot know Christ unless there's an unveiling. There's a veil over their ability to, to see him, to understand. I mean, it makes sense, doesn't it? Have you ever tried sharing your faith with someone, sharing about what it is to follow Christ, sharing some scriptures that are life-giving scriptures that bring hope? You're sharing your faith to someone who is a non-believer, and you know they heard every word you said, but they look at you like you have two heads. They don't get it, and they can't. Not really, because there's a veil, the scripture says. Until revelation comes upon them, they will not understand it. And it goes on, and it goes on, and it goes on. And some of you, you fought for ages because you were under the veil. You see, as unbelievers, they hear the testimony, but whatever testimony they hear of Christ, it goes through a filter of a belief system. And it gets veiled in the filter. And it causes them to hear something different than what you're saying. So you see it. You're, you're saying, I, how do I explain it? It's like explaining to somebody. I remember trying to explain to a Cuban friend of mine the taste of a fresh strawberry. You can't. You just can't. You know how a fresh strawberry right explodes in your mouth. But somebody who's never tasted it say, well, it's kind of like a mango, but it's not a mango. And you just can't explain it until you experience it. And it's that, it's that frustration that you can experience as you attempt to share faith. Why? Because as it happens, the veil filters out through a belief system. And it causes them to hear something differently. Spiritual power is released only through revelation. I'm going somewhere with this. When you share your faith with unsaved loved ones, you need to allow the Holy Spirit to birth true repentance through that revelation that God begins to reveal to them. Repentance is not simply saying something. Repentance is not lifting your hand when a pastor asks if you want Christ. Repentance means you have remorse for your sins and you acknowledge you need a Savior. True repentance. And in true repentance, then a heart is changed. Holy Spirit indwells. And revelation begins to flow into that life. How many here are believing God for an unsaved loved one? God is pretty clear. He wants to save the lost. And here's the key. If a veil is over all those who are unbelievers, and only revelation can bring the place where they call on the name of the Lord, then our place is to pray the Holy Spirit would reveal himself to them. There's something for us to do. It's not a fatalistic approach of saying, what will be, will be. It's not true. My place is to pray for them because Holy Spirit begins that conviction. He begins the unveiling so that opportunity and Open heaven begins to come over their hearts where they become drawn to saying, yes, Lord, I repent of my sins. God is pretty clear when it comes to his desire to save our loved ones. To Solomon in Proverbs chapter 22, he says, if you train up a child in the way they should go, when they are old, they will not turn from it. In other words, they will make that confession for themselves. 
to the Gentile person. His name was Cornelius in Acts chapter 11, verse 14. It says, he will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. The Philippian jailer in Acts chapter 16, 31 Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved and your household. God wants your household saved. He wants your loved ones saved. And you become a strategic point in their journey towards Christ. Seeing your family and loved ones saved sometimes begins to feel like an impossibility. You have shared, you have lived your life, you have tried, and it seems like it will never happen. Mark chapter 10, verse 27, Jesus said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Oh, yes, it is possible. Some of you are here today, and someone thought you would never come to Christ. But you did. And there are those that we are holding before the Lord or need to be holding up before the Lord, that we have become discouraged and despondent, and we think it'll never happen. I want to say, never say never. Nothing is impossible with God, especially when we pour our efforts into prayer. We just increase the temperature in order for their hearts to be receptive to Christ. The unveiling, the unveiling through prayer. Most people, according to statistics, come to Christ through a family member. So there's, before I talk, I'm going to share seven things I'm going to share about in sharing your faith to your unsaved loved ones. But before I do, before we ever start that, we need to position ourselves. Because sometimes we're the reason they're not coming to Christ. Hmm. Okay? So can we talk about this? I'm going to be frank. Just going to be straight at you here. Four things I'm going to share. How to position yourself to pray for your loved ones. First of all, pray or prepare, restore strained relationships. Broken or strained relationships hinder our prayers when it comes to praying for our loved ones. It's like a shutoff valve that love can't get through. If I have a strained relationship with that loved one, then oftentimes that cancels out the things I've been praying for because the issue's going on right here. Peter would address this in a strained relationship. He was talking of a husband to a wife. And he said in 1 Peter chapter 3, he said, Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. Be considerate. Treating them with respect, he said, as with the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. He's saying, Husbands, you're getting in the way. You're getting in the way of your wife responding. You need to treat with respect. You need to treat with love. You need to treat with care, your wives, because you're getting in the way. And it's hindering your prayers. So I want to suggest this first point, restore restrained relationships, strained relationships. Begin by asking forgiveness of things you've said. Asking forgiveness of things you have done that has damaged your relationship. Begin with you. 
Be willing to forgive others, maybe even of their hurts that they've inflicted towards yourself, that you would forgive them. You cannot carry grudges and still be effective in praying for your family and loved ones. You got to get into the right position. And sometimes we are out of place. Restore strange relationships. Work on it. Forgiveness is powerful. Second way to position yourself is to reassure them of your love and acceptance. A plaque says, accept me as I am so that I can learn what I can become. Accept me as I am so I can learn what I can become. Now, I use the word very strategically here, the word accept. I did not say approve. I said accept. You don't have to approve of them. Might be some things happening in their life that you can't approve, but you can accept them. It's the difference. Your spouse, your children, your parents may not feel their need for God's love, but I guarantee you, they feel the need for your love. So love them. If you fail to get this message of love across to them, you will hinder the effect of your prayers for them. And while you are praying for them, pray that God will keep your love for them consistent. Not waning in and out every time you meet them or have a phone conversation with them. And then therefore, you don't love them anymore. And all of a sudden, it puts that, you don't accept them at that point. So reassure them of your love. Reassure them of your acceptance. And that becomes a journey sometimes all in itself. Position yourself for the miracle. Thirdly, here's another way you can position yourself. Reaffirm their worth. Everyone, everyone is made in the image of God. Not just believers. Everyone is made in his image. Sin, sin has marred the image, yes, but they're still in the image of the God who created them. It will be easier to convince your loved ones that God sees something of value in them if they are convinced that you see something of value in them. If they don't think you like them, if they don't think you see any value in them, they're going to have a very difficult time seeing God has value in them. You following with me? We become a representative of God. And so as you begin to work through this, that God help me to see the value. Because sometimes the things that they do overshadows everything. And that becomes a journey for you to have to take. God help me to see your value in them. Reaffirm their worth. So look for the good in your unsaved family members. And let them know you like much of what you see. If you're like me, we can still get caught up in the things we don't like, that we don't talk about the things that are good. And sometimes that can be a breakthrough right in our own hearts. God, help me to see them as you see them. They're made in your image, and there's something there. Help me to get past the mire to see it so that I can affirm that in them, the value of them. Offer appreciation. Admire their traits. Talk about their qualities. 
it is easier to pray for them if you remember that they are of great value to both you and God. It's a whole lot easier to pray. So it really does help you pray when we begin to see the value that God sees in them. And fourthly, how do you position yourself? Relearn the art of listening. Here's one of the problems we sometimes have. We spend all our times trying to convince them. We don't listen to them. And that becomes a problem. Instead, learn to listen both to them. And as you listen to them, you're going to discover something. God's going to start to speak to you. And so you're saying, God, I don't know what to do next. Well, listen to them. Listen to what's going on in their life. Listen to when they gripe and complain. Listen to their current concerns and fears. Listen to their griping. We mentioned the complaining, but they're, they're when they begin to be critical, that you don't take on that critical spirit. But what is driving their heart? What is their, their central concern? As we listen to them, instead of correcting them in that moment, Listen, as you concentrate on what the person is saying and not on what you are going to say back to them, you just are there to demonstrate that you are listening and learn to accept what is being said without passing judgment. It's not my place to judge. It's not your place to judge. It's God's place. So I'm not going to judge. I'm just going to listen. Sometimes we think if we listen, we've approved them. If we've listened, we've affirmed them. But listening goes way beyond that. Listening demonstrates, again, their value and their love. And as you listen, often God navigates things he's trying to show you. So, four things. Let me reiterate those again. Restore your strained relationships. Ask forgiveness. Reassure them of your love and your, your, your acceptance towards them. Reaffirm they are valuable, they're worth, and we learn the art of listening. Now I want to share. Now we're ready. Seven helps in praying for the lost. I'm going to go quickly. Here they are. One, claim your loved ones for God. Claim your loved ones for God. Believe they are persons for whom Christ died, for whom his blood has been purchased for their salvation, and they belong to him. Now it is true. You cannot do what only they can do. You cannot save them. You cannot make that decision for them. They themselves must accept for themselves the good news for themselves. But you can claim, you can claim what the blood of Jesus has already secured. Jesus has already secured their pardon. And here's the thing we need to believe. We need to resist Satan's lie, the devil's lie right here, because the devil says they belong to me. I want to ask you a question. What did he ever do for them? He's not done one thing for them. Jesus gave his life for them. Jesus laid a claim down for them. Now, they must accept it. But Jesus is the one who paid the price, not the devil. And when you hear the lie that they will never be saved, don't believe it for a minute. He has done nothing for them. Jesus has claimed their salvation in his shed blood on the cross. So you say that. You declare that. You speak that into your prayers. Jesus has paid the price for them. And you call on their name. You claim their salvation. I call it they are pre-converted. They aren't saved yet, but they're about to get saved. 
I'm calling for what Jesus has claimed for them. And on, on his behalf and on behalf of those who've come to Christ, we begin to claim the, the readied work of Christ in their life. Because Satan hasn't done anything to make a claim on their lives. Claim their deliverance from the power. Claim their persuasion will be broken off of them. Believe for the tearing down of all the devil's work in their life. Begin to stand on their behalf. You stand in the gap and you claim that loved one for Jesus. Pray that their thoughts will be brought into the captivity of Christ. That their minds will be renewed by Christ. Again, there's a veil over them. Realize that. But after you've positioned yourself, you claim what Christ has already claimed for them. Secondly, pray the hedge around them. Now, you've heard that. People have made jokes about the hedge. But let me just say, there's no better way to describe it. Pray the hedge around them. It really goes back to the prophet, I, the prophet Hosea. He's one of the prophets of the Old Testament. He prayed for his wife when she fell back into adultery. He prayed for his wife in Hosea chapter 2. He said this, Therefore, I will block her path with thorn bushes. I will wall her in so that she cannot find her way. Now, he wasn't talking literal. He was talking in the spirit. So that she not fall back into her old ways. He says, I will block her path in prayer with thorn bushes. Have you ever been to nations where they have cactuses as their fences? You've been there? Some of the Caribbean nations particularly. I, I always love seeing this when I go down to Cuba. Seeing how all their fences are cactuses. And I don't think there could ever be a better fence. I'm not jumping over it. Right? I'm not running through it. No way. Um, I can jump over a chain link fence, but I'm not touching that cactus fence. Right? He says, I chain you in. In my prayers, I chain you in. I wall you in in my prayers. We pray a hedge around them. Job would pray the same thing in Job chapter 1 verse 5 when he prayed for his grown children. And you need to do the same for your loved ones. Pray God will hedge them in so that they become confused and cannot find the way outside the hedge. The things that will bring destruction. The things that will tear their soul from them. The things that will... will, will, will occupy their minds and they will spend the rest of their life regretting. Oh God, hedge them in from those things that they can't get out there and experience the devastation of the world in their hearts and in their lives. Pray that God will keep them from the evil companions that don't care for them. Pray that God will keep them from the influences that will rob their soul and their minds and their hearts. Ask God to bind in and rebuke Satan's power in their lives. I hedge you in in Jesus' name. Claim the biblical promises that relate to the hedge that is needed for them. Become a student of the word. And in the word, you begin to make those claims on their behalf. And remember, always pray in the name of Jesus through the blood of Jesus. You can't do it. I can't do it. The church can't do it. It's only through what Christ has already done. That's where you stake your hedge around them. Pray the hedge around them. Thirdly, pray in the spirit. Sometimes we pray so long we run out of words in English. And when you run out of words in English, pray in the Spirit. And then pray in the understanding. We don't know what else to pray, so we pray in the Spirit. 
And when that happens, Romans 8, 26 says that we are to let the Holy Spirit intercede through you with feelings that words cannot express. Our English runs out. So we pray in the Spirit. Ask God for direction how to pray. And then search his word in your devotion time, in your reading time, and he begins to enrich you. And you pray that for them. And you pray that for them. And you pray that for them. Sometimes, and I know years ago, I picked up a little booklet I saw at a Christian bookstore, The Promises of God. And I began to use that. God, I pray this over the loss, your promises. Ask Holy Spirit to give you a continued burden and a continued urgency that you just don't pray once or twice. You pray this week, and after a while, you begin to give up. It wanes and you stop. But, oh, God, may I continue. May I come back again tomorrow with the same urgency I prayed today and claim those loved ones for you. And, God, the day after, if they've not made a decision, I come back again with the same urgency and I pray, God, keep the burden in my heart so I don't stop praying for them. What are you doing? You're praying so that that veil, revelation will come, that the veil can be lifted. Fourthly, pray in partnership with someone. Added power comes with agreement. Galatians 6.2 tells us that when we carry each other's burdens, we actually fulfill the law of Christ. A prayer partner can help keep you from becoming discouraged. I know in, in small groups, this is a great thing in small groups. When we were in small groups, we would pray for loved ones. Every time we got together, we held each other up, and it just so encouraged us to keep going to keep going as we prayed for their sons and daughters, for their brothers and sisters, for their moms and dads, for their grandparents or grandchildren. So they prayed for ours and we held each other up and it became a tremendous strength. Pray in partnership with someone. Share your concern for a loved one with someone and then covenant together to pray every day for each other and for our loved ones. Pray in partnership with someone. Carry each other's burdens. Number five, pray with fasting. The devil is stubborn and he yields only what and where he is compelled to yield. I'm going to say that again. He is stubborn and he yields only what and where he is compelled to yield. He's not going to give up. He's not going to give up. And so you need to be more persistent. Fasting isn't twisting the arm of a reluctant God. Fasting isn't doing something on their behalf. Fasting is something for you. Fasting cleans out your plumbing, your spiritual pipes, so that you will be stronger in prayer. So, pray with fasting. Sometimes we just, you know, you take a meal a week or you take a meal a day for a period of time. And you take that 30 minutes and you just pray. You go into that secret place and you just begin to go and stand in the gap on their behalf. Pray with fasting that the pressure of the enemy will loosen his deadly grip because he won't unless he's made to. That's where our prayer comes in. Pray, with, pray persistently. When we have prayed long and hard for the salvation of our loved ones, with no apparent response, we're tempted to give up. Discouragement is one of Satan's key effective weapons. Quitting. Quitting. All of us have experienced it. And that's why pray persistently. 
Discouragement is, again, an effective weapon on the enemy's behalf. Jesus gave us a parable in Luke chapter 18 of a parable of a widow who wouldn't give up. I use that parable all the time. Be encouraged if things seem to be getting worse instead of better. I've discovered when the deadline comes for Satan to lose his grip, the battle becomes fierce. Stay at it. Stay at it. It can get ugly for a while. Stay at it in prayer. Sometimes a person fights the hardest just before they yield to the convicting work of the Spirit. Matter of fact, I seldom know a case where that doesn't happen. And lastly, release your loved ones to God's love. In your struggle to see your loved ones come to Christ, you have to realize you can't do it. You can't convict them. You can't save them. You cannot make them live right. You just can't. That's not your job. Take that stress off of yourself. Only God can save them. (laughs) Praise God. Only his spirit can convict them of their sin. Only his righteousness. Only his judgment to come. Only he can do that. So release your loved ones to God. Continue to pray. Fast. Hope. Believe. But place them firmly into the hands of a loving God. Reaffirm your faith in God that he will do his part in bringing them. If not now, soon. You just keep at it. And express your willingness to give him that time to work on them. Doesn't have to happen today. Doesn't have to happen this week. Doesn't have to happen this month. You just stay with it. God will too. God will too. Bible says, and we can be rest assured, he is not willing that any would perish. And so we stand on that and we stay with it. Remember, it is by revelation they will overcome the veil and see Jesus. We stay with it. But having done that, returning them into the hands, releasing them into the hands of the Lord, tomorrow's a new day and we come back and we again beseech before God their hearts and lives. Want to review it? How do we position ourselves? Restore strained relationships. Reassure them of your love and acceptance. Reaffirm their worth and relearn the art of listening. And then the seven things. Claim your loved ones for God. Pray the hedge around them. Pray in the spirit. Pray in partnership with someone. Pray with fasting. Pray persistently. Release your loved ones because God loves them. Release them to God's love. Thanks for listening to the Aurora Cornerstone podcast. Remember to subscribe. For more information about our church and our ministries, visit auroracornerstone.ca.